well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. faces like they are surprised or shocked by this, so that's a good sign. Um, I hope that you are having a good Valentine's Day today if you decide to celebrate it. There's a joke or a story that I've heard about a husband and wife, and the wife woke up one morning and said to her husband, said, honey, I had this dream, and in the dream you gave me a gold necklace. What do you think that means? And the husband kind of smiled and said, I don't know, but you know Valentine's Day is coming up pretty soon. Maybe we'll find out then. And the next day, the, the wife woke up and said, Honey, I had another dream. And in this dream, you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think that means? And the husband just smiled and laughed and said, I don't know, but you know Valentine's Day is coming up soon. Maybe you'll find out then. And the next morning, the wife wakes up and said, Honey, I had another dream. And in this dream, you gave me a diamond necklace. What do you think that that means? And the husband said, Well, you know, today is Valentine's Day. I bet you'll find out tonight. And so that night they got together and the husband gave his wife a wrapped present. So she very excitedly opened up the gift and inside the box she found a book that said the meaning of dreams. So not, not the gift that she was expecting, but at least, at least he tried. I don't know if he gets credit for that or not, but he tried to give her something that would make her happy or feel good. And oftentimes... When we give gifts like this, it comes from a place of, of love, maybe a little bit of requirement, but also out of love. And love is, is kind of a, a funny word. We use the word love for a lot of different things. We use the word love when talking about our spouse or significant other. We use the word love when talking about our family, our parents, our children. We use the word love when talking to friends. But we also use the word love for other things. We use the word love when talking about our favorite sports teams or I love this shirt or I love tacos. And so we use the word love to describe how we feel about a number of things. And so because of that, sometimes the meaning behind the word love can, can lose a little bit of, of its significance because we use the word so much and so often. And sometimes it's difficult for us to find the meaning behind what we mean when we say the word love. But one thing is true about what we mean when we say the word love. Something that we know about love that's true is this. Love requires action. Love requires action. And this is actually a biblical truth as well. Paul talks about this. Sorry, John talks about this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. John says this. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. The hope is that your children, your family, your friends don't just know that you love them because you tell them that you love them. They know that you love them because they see it in action. And that doesn't mean giving fancy gifts or dollar store candy or whatever it might be. Love and action looks like a lot of different things. Sometimes love and action means taking care of someone while they have the stomach bug. Or letting them pick the song in the car as you're on a road trip. 
or making them a favorite meal even though it's not something that you enjoy to eat. Love in action looks like a lot of different things. It will be evident in how we live and will act accordingly when we love someone. This month we're going through a sermon series called Questions from Jesus. And so we started it last week and here we're on week two. And the question that I want us to look at today actually has to do with love. And it's a statement, it's a question that Jesus said. And he actually says it three times in a row. It's found in John chapter 21. And we're going to look specifically at verse 17 at first. In this verse, Jesus says to Peter for the third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And that's the question I want us to think about together for a little bit this morning. Do you love me? There's this musical that I've seen a few times, and I'm not like a huge musical person, although you know I can enjoy them and appreciate them. And one musical that, for whatever reason, I've seen multiple times throughout my life is the musical The Fiddler on the Roof. I'm not sure why that's one I've seen a lot. I think I saw it at Harding, and maybe when I was a kid, one time, a kid in my youth group was in a production, a student production of The Fiddler on the Roof. It went like you thought it would go. And in this musical, there are some famous songs, and one of the songs that I always found really interesting was the song, Do You Love Me? And in this song, real quick, actually in this musical, you have this married couple, uh, Tevya and Goldie. And they're this Jewish couple living in pre-revolutionary Russia. And they're struggling with changing traditions. And one of the things that's happening in this musical is they have five daughters. And two of their five daughters have chosen to, instead of getting married the traditional way, which was by having a matchmaker set you up, they have chosen instead to get married because of love. And so for their parents, this is an unfamiliar concept, this idea of marrying for love. And so Tevia asks his wife, as they're thinking about this, he asks her, he says, do you love me? And they do it in song, of course, because it's a musical. And his wife, Goldie, calls him a fool. She accuses him of having indigestion. She asks him to go lie down. But Tevya reminds her of the day that they met, which was their wedding day. And he says he was nervous, but his parents assured them, or assured him, that they would grow to love one another. And so he wants to know, do you love me? And Goldie, in the process of thinking through her answer to this question, she reviews all that she has done for him over the 25 years that they've been married how she's washed clothes and cooked meals and cleaned his house and they've had children together. And after 25 years, she argues, in song, of course, why talk about love right now? But her husband keeps asking the question and his persistence makes his wife wonder the same thing. Does she love him? And she comes to the conclusion that if all of these actions, all of these ways of expressing love, if that's not love, then what is? And so they both, at the end of the song, they come to the conclusion that they suppose that they do love each other. And the song is, is kind of silly and it's kind of sad and sweet at the same time. But I'm reminded of this song when thinking about how Jesus put this same question before Peter. And in fact, three times he puts this question of do you love me before Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And a third time, do you love me? Now, when not set to music, uh, this can be... Uh, annoying pretty quickly to have somebody ask you the same question over and over again, like a toddler asking their parent the same thing over and over again. You get frustrated with that. And in fact, Peter does show some frustration. He shows some aggravation. And John writes that Peter felt hurt because Jesus kept asking. And so eventually he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
And as we'll see and we'll look at in just a minute, for Jesus, the words are not enough. The words of saying, yes, I love you, is not enough. Love requires action. And so before we get into this question a little bit more, I want us to actually look at some context of what's going on in the relationship between Peter and Jesus. And so let's go back in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31, we see that Jesus is pretty close to being arrested and put on trial and crucified on the cross. And so he's having some of these last conversations with his close followers. And he says this in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Simon, Peter here, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And then in verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, we have to appreciate Peter's boldness here. And he had no idea what was about to happen, but he very boldly proclaimed and declared his loyalty to Jesus, even to death. Jesus, I am with you to death. And Jesus says, actually, no, you're not. Not yet. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster grows. And so Jesus is arrested. And then we pick up in verse 54. It says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Now, Peter gets a hard time often. In fact, Peter gives himself a hard time. But Peter should get some props for being there. Many of the disciples, when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. They went into hiding. They left. But Peter, even though it's at a distance, he's still somewhat there. He's following his Lord. Then we go to verse 56. It says this, a servant girl saw Peter, saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Now, if you're Peter and you're going into this situation, of course, Peter has no desire to deny Jesus. Peter is not going into the situation thinking that he's going to mess up and make a mistake and turn his back on Christ. But yet you would think that when Peter denies knowing Jesus here, that something would trigger that memory of when Jesus told him he would do this. It wasn't, at least for us, it wasn't too long ago, right? This is just a few verses. For him, it's hours from when Jesus said this. And yet it doesn't seem to connect with him. Although how many times does that happen to us, right? Where we feel confident in our love for Jesus. And maybe even we declare that confidence, that love that we have for Christ. And then maybe it's a mere hours, day, where we find ourselves in a situation where, in a sense, we deny knowing him. This is the situation that Peter finds himself in. He denies knowing who Jesus is. Woman, I don't know him. And then verse 58, it says this. It says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. So there's strike two, second time. Don't get a third, Peter. Come on, wake up, wake up. See what's happening here. And then in verse 59, we get this encounter. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then we get this picture in verse 61 that this one really cuts my heart when I, when I think about this and what Peter went through here. In verse 61, it says, the Lord turned, talking about Jesus, the Lord turned 
and looked straight at Peter. You get this image of their eyes meeting. And what what is in that look that Jesus gave to Peter? Sometimes I think we think it's disappointment in the eyes of Jesus, like maybe an I told you so. I, I don't imagine that that's what it is. I almost wonder if the look that Jesus gives to Peter is one of reassurance. Like, stick with me on this. Don't, don't give up, Peter. It's not over yet. But their eyes meet. And we see in the next part of verse 61, it says, Then, at this point, Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. It wasn't just the rooster crowing that made Peter remember. It's the look from Jesus. But both of these things happening together, Peter remembers. Oh my goodness, what have I done? He remembers the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And then in verse 62, he responds in the way that I think many of us would in a situation like this. It says that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Why does Peter weep bitterly? He realizes what he's done. He realizes that he has fallen short in his love for Christ. And as much as Peter loves Jesus, sometimes our actions fall short of our love. Sometimes the response that we want to have does not equal the love that we feel for Christ. And as much as we love Jesus, as much as we declare that, sometimes we fall short. And if we think back to the question from last week that Eric asked us, the question that that Eric looked at, that Jesus asked, Jesus was asking, who do you say that I am? Who is it that answers that question correctly? It's Peter. Peter answers right, at least partly right. Peter knows who Jesus is. He knows that he's the Christ. He knows he's the Messiah. He confidently believes that he'll stay with him to the end, but then he doesn't. He finds himself in a difficult situation and he falls short. And that rooster crowed. I want to think about that rooster crowing for just a second. I wonder if that connection to the rooster crowing changed forever what Peter would think about when he hears the crow of the rooster. If every time Peter hears a rooster crow, if he would feel some guilt and some shame as he's reminded about what he'd done when he denied Jesus three times. Now, when do roosters crow? Well, I know roosters kind of crow throughout the day, but when we think about roosters crowing, when do we think about that? It's usually the morning, right? And I wonder a little bit if Peter was somewhere where he would hear these roosters crowing every morning. And if every morning, as he woke up and heard the crow of a rooster, if he would be reminded of his guilt, reminded of his shame, if he's reminded of the night that he let Christ down. Imagine that. Imagine waking up every day, and here's a little reminder of your greatest failure, right? Enjoy your day. Good luck. If every morning you woke up, and instead of thinking about what the day might hold and what it might bring you, you instead are immediately reminded of your worst moment of letting Christ down. Peter actually writes a little bit about the enemy and what the enemy tries to do to us. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says this, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It says Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. I think that's an interesting way to describe what our enemy is doing. And I think it's true that the enemy does this. The enemy does prowl around like a roaring lion. But sometimes the enemy crows like a rooster. And here's what I mean by that. Our enemy, 
Satan is the accuser. And his strategy has not changed since the Garden of Eden. The enemy of your soul wants to remind you of what you've done wrong, wants to remind you of your failures over and over and over again. It's one of his most effective strategies is to constantly give you reminders of how your action has not connected to your love for Jesus. Of how you say you love Jesus, but you really have just fallen short. You're like Peter. You just keep denying him over and over again. Well, if we fast forward in our story, we get back to our question in John chapter 21. We see this is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And he's walked on earth, and he walks on earth for about 40 days before his ascension into heaven. And amazing things are happening. He's teaching and he's appearing before people. Sometimes there's over 500 people that he's in the presence of. There's some healings that have taken place. And we get this scene in John chapter 21 where he meets up with some of his disciples for breakfast. And in John chapter 21, verse verse 3, we get this. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat But that night they caught nothing. It seems like Peter's always catching nothing, by the way. But here's Peter going fishing. And there's some that speculate that Peter going fishing here, maybe this is him kind of going back to his old life. I mean, he's a fisherman. Maybe this is him going back to his old life. Maybe his discipling career is over. Maybe he's going back to what he's comfortable with. But then we see in verse 4 what happens next. And it says this. It says, early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, another translation says daybreak, but here, the time of day, I wonder if it's significant. Early in the morning. Well, when do roosters crow? Well, oftentimes it's early in the morning. I wonder a little bit if there is an intentional connection between the time of day when Peter is reminded of his greatest failure and the time of day when Jesus is about to have this very important conversation with Simon Peter. And so let's get back to our question in John chapter 21. Go to verse 15. This is after breakfast, and here's what happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, why is Peter hurt? Is it just the persistence of Jesus asking the same question over and over again? I don't think so. I think he's making the connection. Jesus is not asking this three times because he feels repetition's important. He's asking this question three times. It's not a coincidence. This connects to the three times that Peter denied Christ. And Peter knows that this is intentional. He puts it together. And so every time Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus responds with a command, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus wants Peter to live out his words, to show that they really mean something, to turn words and feelings into actions. This idea of, if you really love me, you will feed my sheep. Now, side note, of course, this idea 
of putting requirements on love. This can be misused and can make for a very dangerous relationship. The idea of saying, if you really love me, you won't turn me in for breaking the law. If you really love me, you'll go into debt to buy me something that you can't afford. If you really love me, you'll turn your back on your family members, you'll quit your job, you'll give up your friends. I mean, these are examples of unhealthy relationships. But that's not what's happening here with Jesus. He isn't asking for love with one-sided action. He has shown us what love with action looks like. He loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love always was connected with action. And that's what he's asking of us as well. And so when answering the question that Jesus asked Peter of, do you love me? The hope is that the answer is yes. We first have to answer the question, yes. And then if we love Jesus, the action connected to that is we will feed his sheep. We will feed his sheep. We see the term sheep used often throughout the New Testament. It's used elsewhere in the Bible. Jesus talks about sheep a lot. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and says he would leave the 99 to find the one lost sheep. John chapter 10 states that Jesus is the good shepherd and he'll lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus is our shepherd and he's caring for all of his followers. But what Jesus is doing here, I think, is significant. He is inviting Peter, he's inviting all of his disciples to take part in caring for his sheep. We get this amazing responsibility if we love Jesus. We get to take part in feeding his sheep, feeding the church, taking care of those who are hurting, reaching out to those who are lost. Part of our response to loving Jesus is to feed his sheep. And so why does Jesus give Peter this charge? It was not only a way to forgive Peter for his earlier betrayal of Christ, but to show that Jesus had absolute trust in Peter's ability to lead in God's church. And I believe this question that Jesus asks of Peter is also a question that's asked of us. Do we love him? And if the answer is yes, then the response will be for us to feed his sheep to look for those that are hurting and are in need and find ways to show acts of love towards those around us. A couple weeks ago, I went to the DMV and I will say, if there is anything, maybe the only thing that has gotten better during the pandemic, it is going to the DMV. So they now require that you have a reservation. And before when I've gone, it is a long, dreadful process. But this was actually like, at least the first part, kind of pleasant. Like I came in, I showed them my reservation. I didn't even have to sit down. Like I just went right up to one of the, the booths or, or whatever they're called to do my registration. Now, I get up there and I'm wearing a mask and there's a lady next to me on my right and there's a, a gentleman next to me on my left. And the guy on my left is wearing a mask, but the lady to my right, and I'm not, real quick, I'm not making a statement about masks. Let me just tell this story first. But the lady has the mask and it's below her chin. And I notice it as well. The man that's next to me starts to turn and I start to sweat a little bit. Like, what's, what's happening here? This is about to be a confrontation. And he says to her, with me in between them, he says, you need to pull that mask up over your nose. You're not wearing it right. And I'm like, oh boy. Uh, and she turns and says to him, she says, excuse me? 
what's about to happen? I don't know. Just give me my registration. And they kind of go back and forth a little bit. He repeats himself about pulling the mask up over her nose. And she kind of gets defensive, but then she pulls it up over her nose. And I give this huge sigh of relief. And as they're having this back and forth with me standing in between awkwardly, at one point, he says to her, he says, hey, thanks for being cool about this. When I've done this before, and I imagine he's done this a lot, sometimes people get really defensive and angry with me. He says, and he talks about some people that he's known that had passed away from having the virus. But he says this at the end. He says to her, he says, I'm just trying to save your life. Now, I heard him say this, and you know whether or not we agree if, if that's really what was happening or not, I found it very interesting that this man was willing to call out a complete stranger. And he says, at least, that his motivation for doing it was that he had life-saving information. Right? That's what he's saying his reasoning was. I feel like I'm going to save your life by sharing this information with you. Now, whether you agree or not, if that's what was happening, I still think there's something there. And it's this. We, as followers of Jesus, we have life-saving information. We, we know the key to eternal life. We know that it's found through Jesus Christ. And for us to be able to access that, right, to be able to have that relationship with him, yes, we need to respond by saying, Jesus, I love you. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Messiah, you're my Savior. But there's an action that goes along with that. And some of the action that connects to us loving Jesus is to feed his sheep. And I believe feeding his sheep looks like taking care of other people's needs and helping people when they're going through difficult times, but it may also be telling people this important life-saving information. Letting others know what we know, that it's through Jesus we can have eternal life. This morning, maybe you're here, and maybe, maybe you are constantly reminded about how you have fallen short. Maybe you recognize that your actions are not matching your love for Jesus. And maybe you need to make a change. I have some life-saving information to share with you. The way to do that is by coming back to Jesus Christ. It's by recognizing that you need to have an active relationship with him. And so if you're here this morning and you have something on your heart that needs to be changed, don't wait on that. Recognize the action that's connected to that love that you have for Jesus. Or maybe this morning you recognize that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And with that recognition also comes an action. And that action could be that you need to be baptized by the blood of Jesus Christ and have your sins washed away. Jesus is asking us, do you love him? And hopefully the answer is yes. But now we need to make sure that our action matches our love for Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you need to respond in any way, if we can pray for you or encourage you in any way, we want to make that happen for you this morning. And so we want to encourage you to come forward as together we stand and sing.